You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. And so uh, we want to get into God's Word. We're in James, the book of James. And, uh, you know, people change. Sometimes uh, we often think that's not a good thing. You know, I, th- I, I like that guy, and then, you know, he changed. And uh, that, that's often seen as a bad thing. But for us as believers, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that people change. We want to change. Uh, the pictures in the Bible of the Christian life are often one of growth and change and progress. And um, that's exciting. It's good that we can uh, change that way. But uh, sometimes uh, we feel stuck. Uh, don't you feel stuck sometimes? You think like, man, I just, I wish I could just uh, leave this sin behind. I wish I could just be different. I wish I wasn't so that. And uh, so we, we get frustrated with ourselves because uh, change can be uh, slow and hard. Um, but God's promise is that uh, we can change. And so uh, the author of James, uh, James, is a man of action. And uh, he says, real faith brings real change. I can change. And you can change. We can change. We can uh, grow. We can do better. And uh, it can uh, affect us at the deepest levels of who we are. It's going to show. And it's going to be real. Uh, Change, for us, is real. And that's what we want to focus on. And so in uh, chapter 1 of James, in the first 18 verses, James shows us that faith actually responds to God. He says, uh, listen, when you have faith in God, uh, you count your trials as something joyful because you can trust him. You can go to him. Uh, You ask God for wisdom. When you respond to God in faith, you uh, ask him for wisdom and then accept what he gives to you. Uh, When you respond to God in faith, you put more stock in uh, the eternity and the life to come than we do in our riches in, in right now. And so faith responds to God. And then as James continues into the section that we're going to talk about, he says, and a change makes a real difference in who we are and how we are. And so we we want to get a hold of that um, and and see what that looks like. So let's uh, just quickly define faith, first of all, because we talk a lot about faith around here, don't we? It's like, like, yeah, faith, I have faith, you just got to believe, except that it's a little bit more than that. And so what is faith? What are we talking about, this way of responding to God? And so as you study the Old and the New Testament, and you kind of try and grasp the big picture of how faith is described and what it is, we like snappy little definitions. Um, I'm not that snappy, and so I'm not going to give you one. And so, But let's look at this. Uh, Here's what faith involves. First of all, you have to know something. That kind of makes sense, right? Uh, Not only that, you have to believe it. Well, that also makes sense. And then you have to trust it. You have to have this sense that uh, I could put my weight onto this thing, but it isn't faith until you actually commit. You have to commit to it. You actually have to put your weight on it. It isn't faith if it's just an idea. It doesn't matter that you know it and you believe it and you kind of trust it, but until you actually commit to it, It's not actually faith. And then when you commit to it, uh, part of faith is you receive the assurance that this is a real thing. 
and you, uh, you, you are filled with confidence that as you're trusting this, God's going to come through. And, you know, so often we want the assurance before we've made the commitment. And God doesn't work like that. That's not what faith is. And so that's what we're talking about, this, uh, this response to God where we know, we believe, we trust, we commit. And that's what James is talking about throughout his whole book. He's talking about that aspect of faith that commits, that works it out, that, that is practical. And so we want to get practical today. And so that's what we're going to do. So we're in uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. And uh, here James answers the question, how? How does change happen? Uh, faith brings real change. Uh, let's read this and see. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, as we're before you, we're before you. You're here. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you will be among us, that you'll be touching our minds, our hearts. Lord, each of us has come here with different needs and different expectations, and Father, we need you. And so would you come and speak to our hearts through your word? Father, as we place ourselves under it in this moment, Father, whether we believe or are willing to commit or trust, Father, we pray that you'd raise faith up in us to believe your word, to trust you, to commit to you, and to receive the confidence and assurance that you do work in us, that you will bring change. And so change us today, Father, as we are before you. By your word, we pray. In the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, uh, James is, is talking about practical change. And so one of the things we work really hard at around here is making the Word of God practical. So we get together in small groups and we talk. Do you do pulpit curriculum here? Where you kind of take questions from the message and, and you say like, okay, that was great. That was a great message. Um, what does it really mean for our lives? And so you kick it around a little bit and, and, uh, and, and answer that. And then you kind of break out and man with man and woman with woman. And, and just in case, you know, one day you didn't get the questions, this is the question you're trying to answer. In small group, you're just saying, hey, uh, what did we hear mean for how we live? And then when you go to breakout, the question is, so what are you going to do with it this week? That's pretty simple, right? Because we're pretty practical. We want God's word to be real and uh, put it into practice in our lives. And uh, James is uh, indeed practical. And so uh, let's get practical. Are you ready? 
All right, he starts right off with this. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's pretty practical. You go like, um, yeah, how do you actually get that to happen? So I want to help you. I want to give you a, a, an intervention. It's called tango. A conversation is kind of like a dance, right? I remember when my second son got married, they met swing dancing, and so their marriage was kind of themed around swing dancing. And they said, you always got to keep your connection. And so uh, that's what conversation is. It's getting connected. And so uh, I want to give you this, this way of slowing the conversation down because conversations tend to speed up, right? Um, they, they speed up, and your emotions get a little heightened, and then you talk faster, and, and you, you're, you're thinking like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but what I really want to say is this, and, and, and they just tend to speed up, and uh, we don't get very far, and uh, they, they speed up, then they heat up, and then they stop. Okay, we want to slow the conversation down. So here's a, a great way to do that. It's called tango for communication. It's something that uh, we use in, uh, in conversation, in counseling, in uh, helping people all the time. And so here, here it is. I think we're going to have it up here. Um, tango. Uh, the first T stands for tell what happened directly and briefly. This is a time to tell uh, your partner, whoever you're talking to, your perspective. Be brief and to the point like a news reporter. The A stands for how this affected me because so often we miss this. We just say our piece, but we don't tell why it's important. And I think it's, important. it's really important to share why. Uh, so you, how did this affect me? This is how it affects me. Uh, and so at this point, share what happened, uh, how what happened affected you. Try and use a feeling word. Okay, every guy just went, I knew this conversation was going to go this way. That's okay, but try that, okay? Just try and say, like, um, yeah, like, uh, I didn't like it. Okay, try a little harder. Um, um, how this affected me was I was really disappointed. Or, um, like, uh, I, I just get really frustrated with that. Or, um, I was really hurt. Or, um, I, was, I didn't understand. And so, like, let's try and see how this affected me. And then the N stands for this, and this is going to seem like, you're, gotta, you're kidding me, right? Right in the middle of this conversation, you're going to put in a nurturing statement. And this is, tell your partner something you appreciate or value about them. And you go like, why do you do that? That just seems like, that's like stopping the conversation. That isn't slowing it down, that's stopping it. But it isn't. What it does is it helps us remember, hey, that we are more, we are about more than just the problem we're talking about. So this is really important for husbands and wives and, and uh, dads and daughters or dads and sons or moms and sons and moms and daughters and all the most important conversations we have, we are about more than whatever the problem is probably we're talking about. Because let's face it, most of the time, uh, our conversations aren't a problem unless there's a problem. And so that's the context that we're talking about a lot of this stuff. And we want to slow the conversation down because James says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. And so this is how we do it. We're uh, slowing the conversation down. And so, um, so a nurturing statement just reminds us all that there's more to us than just this. And, and you you probably don't realize how important it is for someone to hear that when you're trying to bring them 
something. Hey, listen, uh, you know, this happened, and this is how it made me feel. But what I really appreciate is how you faithfully go to work every day or how you faithfully uh, um, step into issues and problems with the kids or how you, I just really appreciate how you uh, welcome me with a smile every opportunity you get. I appreciate that about you because in the middle of these conversations, um, the person probably doesn't feel very appreciated. So it's just good to say, hey, you know what? If all you can get out is, um, I, I really actually do like you. Um, I appreciate you. So let's try that, okay? So we're slowing the conversation down. Now, uh, the speaker has said their piece. This is still their play. But now the listener, uh, you ask the question, got it? Got it? And so the listener says, so what I hear you saying is that when this happened, um, this is how it made you feel, and, uh, and you appreciate the fact that... Um, I cut the lawn last week. Great. Okay, good. Uh, got, do I got it. And what you're doing here is checking to make sure that you're listening to understand. Because so often we listen to answer. We're not really listening, and so we want to listen to understand. And so to make sure that we've got understanding, the speaker has said this, the listener repeats it, and said, did I get your message? Because sometimes I say something, and the person says, so what you're saying is this. And I go, no, that's not what I said at all. And they go, oh, those are the words you used. I said, I know that you understand, that you, you uh, think you heard what I meant, but I'm not sure you understand that what you heard is not, and I said that all wrong. I just got that in a little poster somewhere. I know that you think you um, understood what you think I said, but I'm not sure you understand that what, I, what you heard was not what I meant. Right? And so, like, we get all confused and we say, and so this is a way of just slowing the conversation down and checking. Do I got it? Is this what you're saying? And when the person can say, yeah, that's what I'm saying, at least you have understanding, not agreement. Nobody's asking for agreement at this point, but we actually want understanding because so often, how often, have you ever had this? You have this big argument and you get to the end and you go, you know, we're saying the same thing, don't you? Actually, yes. So why are we so upset about it? I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> okay, now we have a problem, right? We just get into these conversations and we need to slow it down and we're going for understanding. So then the O is, are we okay? Okay, now that we have understanding, are we okay? Because sometimes what was said right up front was like, wow, um, I didn't know that was going on. I'm really, I'm really not sure how I feel about that. Um, I think I need a little bit of time to talk about that, uh, to think about that. So, okay, take a little time. We're not okay. Okay, but if we're okay, then we keep going. Now, how do we tango? What's the next step? Well, now the next step is the other person's turn. Okay, so we've had a speaker and the listener got it. Yep, now it's the other person's turn to tango, and they start at the beginning. Tell from their perspective what's going on, and how it affects them. And then, hey, you got it? Wow, you know what? I, I just had my perspective on this, but when I hear uh, your perspective and how it affected you and the fact that you appreciate me about something, uh, do I got it? Yeah. Wow. That's a little different than the conversations that I've often had. Is it a little different than for you that, hey, we actually hear each other? And understand, that's because we're slowing the conversation down. So we're actually doing what Peter or what James says is be swift to hear. 
That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth. You've heard that before, right? Because uh, we need to listen more than we speak. So be swift to hear and slow to speak. We're slowing the conversation down. Is that practical? I think that's practical. And I think that it's helpful. And so that's uh, what we want to do. Um, by the way, uh, at the bottom of the, uh, some of those slides, there was a website, I believe. Um, can we go back to one? Yeah, uh, hopecouples.com resources. So that's uh, um, a guy named Everett Worthington. Uh, uh, Hope Focused Couples Therapy is a therapy. It's built around the core tenets of faith, work, and love from Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And uh, they are introduced as the necessary ingredients of a healthy relationship. And there's lots of other uh, helps on that website. One reason that we get stuck, particularly in our relationships, is because we're lazy. Quite frankly, we're lazy and we don't go look for the help that's actually available. I can't believe the number of times I talk to couples and they go, wow, I wish I'd heard this before. It's probably available. You could have grabbed a hold of something that would help, was helpful. But instead, we get stuck in our patterns and our pride. Why? Why do we get stuck? Well, there's a few reasons um, that we'll uh, talk about in a minute. So we're slowing the conversation down, uh, keeping emotions settled, seeking to really hear and understand, obeying the command, be quick to hear, slow to speak. And James says this, Slow to anger. Anger, slow to anger. Uh, we need to look beneath the surface. So we slow the conversation down, then we look beneath the surface. So anger is an interesting emotion, isn't it? Um, I, I find anger fascinating. I um, invested myself in it too much too often. So uh, anger is an interesting emotion. Sometimes anger, uh, usually anger is because something is being violated. I get angry because something is being violated. And so uh, I, uh, anger is what shows. Anger, uh, frustration, uh, irritation. So I'm not angry, I'm just a little irritated. Yeah, it's, that's anger. It's just a lower form of anger, right? And so much of anger management is, let's just get it down to a level where nobody's getting hurt. Um, but that's not what God says to do with anger. Anger is usually, uh, the answer to anger is usually it has to be given up in humility. I'm not in control. Anger is usually a control play, right? And so I get angry, and I try and force my will on people, and it's this response, this emotional response, because something is being violated. But often, uh, what shows on the surface as anger or frustration or irritation is really a cover-up for something different that's underneath. And so anger is often uh, just a response on the surface of uh, fear in my heart or um, inadequacy, or a hurt, a previous hurt, or um, uh, something else uh, that's going on inside. And so uh, anger uh, is usually what shows, but it's not necessarily what's go actually going on. So we need to look beneath the surface to be slow to anger. John Gottman, noted relationships researcher, notes anger is often a secondary uh, or masking emotion. And so uh, um, what's underneath it are uh, so often it's insecurity or our need for significance. Something under there is driving us. And uh, we all know about those things. Um, sometimes it's simply this, I want it my way, right? Like, let's be honest. Let's, I just need to look underneath the surface and see what's going on there. Uh, sometimes it's just simple selfishness. I want what I want, and I'm not getting it. And so I'm angry now. And so uh, we need to look beneath the surface 
Um, here's a, an interesting way of asking uh, what's going on. Um, Jesus equates anger in the heart to murder. So when you're angry, ask yourself this. What do I want so badly right now I'm willing to kill for it? I'm not actually going to kill anybody, but I'm pretty good at killing people with words. I'm pretty good at using my words. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Here's the problem with anger. Anger poisons the well of relationship. Anger poisons the well of relationship. Uh, James says, be slow to anger because anger, what? Does not work the righteousness that God requires. Anger poisons the well of relationship. It always uh, creates distance. Uh, How many of us can admit that um, um, when I'm angry, I'm an unsafe person? Uh, how How many of us are angry people often enough that the people closest to us do not feel safe with us? That they cannot share with us the things that are on their heart. We can't have that. Just say, hey, you know that tango thing? That ain't going to happen in our house. Because that tell part and how it affects me, I'm not willing to go there because the person I need to talk to is an angry person and I don't feel safe. And I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And so often, uh, so many men... Uh, This this tends to be, uh, there's an angry woman too, I know. But so many men carry a level of anger. I was talking to a guy this week, and he goes, yeah, I just blew up. I'm here because I just blew up last week. It scared the daylights out of me, scared my daughter. I just didn't know that I had that much, and I just don't know where it came from. And so what we need to realize that, yeah, that, that boiling point, water boils at, what, 212? If you're at 40, it takes a long time to get to 212, but if you're living at 200, it doesn't take much to pop the lid off that baby, does it? And so many of us are carrying so much anger. And what is that all about? And I think it's time to look underneath the surface and actually explore a little bit of what's going on here. Because anger poisons the well of relationship and uh, makes me an unsafe person. Here's the second thing. It never addresses the actual issue. Anger never addresses the actual issue. So picture this. You know, a guy coming home from work, and it's been actually not a bad day. And so he comes in, and as he comes in, uh, you know, just the breeze catches the door, and as he comes in the door, the door slams. And his wife, who happens to be uh, nearby, goes, oh, what's his problem now? So she walks out, and she goes, what is your problem? And he goes, I didn't have one until you showed up. He goes, I'll tell you what my problem is. This place is a pigsty. What have you been doing all day? That's kind of assuming some roles here that probably not necessarily true. So forgive me for that. But, uh, you know, we're just talking about how they respond to one another. And, uh, and, and she says something uh, nasty to him. And uh, all of a sudden, or he says something. And all of a sudden, uh, he sees on her face that, oops, I think I stepped over a line. This isn't going to go well. And so uh, he stops, and he goes, oh, whoa, honey, I am so sorry. I am a complete idiot. Would you please, please forgive me? She goes, you know what? I kind of started that. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? They forgive each other, and they kiss, and they make up, and they have a nice dinner, and they watch TV, and they're cuddly, and everything's fine, right? Right? Everything's good. That's a good ending. That's a good ending in my house, I think. Like, except what's the problem? They never actually dealt with what was under the surface. What 
What was she feeling when she thought he was coming in angry? What was he feeling when she responded to him that way? And we need to look underneath the surface because anger does not work the righteousness that God requires. So be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's practical, right? Okay, you say, like, you just got through the first line, and like, we got to be halfway through this thing. Okay, we're, we'll move, we'll move, we'll go a little faster here. So here, here's a, so slow the conversation down, look beneath the surface, but then here's the key, we got to engage with the truth. So there's a better way. Um, James says this in verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's a different way of handling conversations, a different way of handling relationships. So he says, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Uh, filthiness is moral or ethical depravity. It usually comes out in uh, unclear or downright dirty talk. It usually comes out in how we talk, right? Um, rampant wickedness is talking about intent, the wicked selfishness in me comes out in how I use my words to get what I want. Here are some other places this whole thing is addressed. So, so um, filthiness talks about what comes out of my mouth, and rampant wickedness talks about why it comes out of my mouth. And uh, Paul says in Ephesians, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Colossians, he says, but now you must put them all away. Listen to this, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Peter says, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Those are all word words, right? Talk words. Let God's word direct, uh, or like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And James says, um, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we're applying God's word to our lives, to our souls. Rather than defending ourselves and, and using our words to, to get what we want, we receive God's word and allow it to transform us. And we want to talk a little bit about how that's going to happen. Hey, but notice this. The word of God is able to save your souls. You know, that's where we've got to start. We talk a lot about transformation and being different people and, and doing good things and all that's great. But if you're not saved, you don't have God working with you. And listen, I'll just tell you, you can do amazing things on your own, but you can't be transformed. Only God transforms people. And uh, it starts with salvation. So if you're here and you've never uh, actually received Christ as your Savior, that's where it has to begin. You have to have life from God before you're able to express life from God. And that's what James is all about. Uh, we sometimes read this book and say, yeah, you know, he's talking about works and works and works. And, but he's talking about works as the expression of faith. 
And so it's not different. And, and we, we have to have life from God before you can express that life. And so it begins with salvation. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, when I respond to God in faith, I experience change that's practical. But uh, let's talk about now uh, going down underneath and talk about change that's pervasive. And so uh, we read here, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now who does that? Who does that? I know maybe they had lousy mirrors back then, but that's not actually the point. The point is they actually were able to see what was going on in there, and uh, they look in there, and they just uh, they look at themselves, and they walk away, and they forget about it. It's like you, you get up, and I looked in a mirror this morning. didn't help, but I looked in the mirror, and you look in, and you see your hair's all over, and then you just walk away and forget that your hair's all over. Or you look in the mirror, and you got, you got stuff on your shirt. And you, and you just go away and you forget about it. Somebody goes, hey, dude, there's junk all over your shirt. And you go, oh, look at that. Amazing. Like nobody does that. This is a hilarious picture. Uh, this guy looks in the mirror and sees what's wrong and just walks away and forgets about it. You go, I would never do that. Um, actually, uh, what James is talking about is uh, looking into God's word and seeing what you're like. And then just forgetting about it and walking away and not making any change. And some of us may do that this morning. You go, I would never look in the mirror and just walk away and forget about it. Um, you might. You might right now. You might hear God's word and be convicted by it and then just walk out of here and, and forget about it. And you'll be what James is talking about here. So here's what this picture gives us. First of all, none of us sees ourselves clearly. None of us sees ourselves clearly. That's why we need God's word as a mirror to reflect to us. What am I really like? What am I really like? None of us sees ourselves clearly. A truth and change are hard. What I see in the mirror is often hard to accept, physically and spiritually, right? Oh, my goodness. Like, uh, you know, all of us look in there and we wish, I wish I was bigger. Wish I was, wish my nose was smaller. Wish my ears didn't stick out. I don't know what you wish, but there's all, you can find something, I'm sure, when you look in the mirror, and you don't like what you see there, and it's hard to accept sometimes. Well, that's true of God's Word. When we look into God's Word, sometimes I look in there, and I don't like what I see. It shows me things about myself, like that anger thing, and why, and it shows me how selfish I can be. I, go, I, I didn't really actually see clearly how selfish I was until God showed me and that's not pretty. And so, um, truth and change are hard. Uh, there's a real possibility that I'll set myself up for failure by not acting on God's word. That's why we're so intent. When we get in together in small groups, hey, what are we going to do with this? Because I don't, I don't want to become self-deceived. It's so easy just to forget about it and not make the change. And that's a guarantee for self-deception. Why is that? Well, because um, all of us have this deal, uh, there's reality and there's my behaviors. And when they don't line up, there's this sense of dissonance. We call that um, cognitive dissonance. Like, um, these things don't match up. And we can't live that way. Most of us cannot live with that kind of dissonance. And so we have to find a way to reconcile 
those two things. And so uh, we just kind of overlook the truth. Or we find some justification. Well, you know, but, you know, it was because of my parents. That's a good one to go to. It's all their fault. It's this happened to me. And so we have, we have to come up with some kind of justification why my behavior doesn't have to line up with what God's reality is. And those are the only two, two choices we have. When God's word points something out to me, I have two choices. I can re- confess it, say the same thing, and repent and ask for God's help and turn to him in humility. Or I can ignore it and just pretend everything's okay and cover it over and justify it. Make it, make it somehow, make it like it's going to be okay here. I think you know that James is recommending the first. Be a doer who acts. So um, that's the challenge, isn't it, when we look into God's word? Um, what's, what's the answer? The answer is to apply God's word. Um, now, right here, we get confused because it seems like James is saying that our doing saves us. But what he's really saying is that Christ fulfilled the law for us, and now we're seeking to come into line with what he has accomplished. Um, he says, um, a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. He'll experience what God, uh, the fullness of what God has for him. I love Colossians 1.12. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You're qualified. Uh, what that means is, uh, Jesus wrote the exam and gave you the A+. And now because you're qualified, you want to live that out. It's like he gave you your gas fitter's license, and so now you can go do gas fitting. So go do it. You go like, something's going to get blown up here. That's not good. You're right. We have to learn all that he's given to us. We have to grow up into the licensing that he's given to us. You're a qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, And so now we want to grow up into that. And that's kind of the picture that we have here. Um, Let me give you just a quick overview of transformation. Because that's what we're really talking about. The Bible talks a lot about transformation, doesn't it? And so it begins with a new birth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. And you go, yeah, yeah, well, I'd like to see a little more new here. Okay, well, we're not done here. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring transformation. It says, And we all with unveiled face, that's an important phrase, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. There's the word. Where does transformation come from? Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What does that verse tell us? Transformation is something God does. He does it a little bit at a time. It's not all at once. Sorry, sometimes I make real good big leaps. Other times it's just like really so slow. I wonder, is it really happening? Is it really happening? Is it really happening? Sometimes you look back and it's been, wow, a year, two years, five years. You go, hey, it's happening. I actually am being transformed. But it's little bit by little bit. It's the Spirit of God that does it. It's a little bit at a time. What's it based on? The whole context there is looking and seeing the glory of the Lord where? In Revelation. With unveiled face, we can understand God's word now. The the context talks about that, that Israel reads God's word and they have a veil over their minds. But in Christ, the veil is taken off and you can read God's word and understand it and God's spirit speaks to you and he changes you. 
So here's another verse. Here's one. We all know this one. Romans 12 too, right? Because uh, this talks about uh, how God uh, transforms. Do not, be, do not be conformed to this world. Do you know it now? Recognize it? Do not be conformed to this world, pressed into the world's image, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Great. I'm just going to read God's word, and I'm going to even memorize God's word, and I'll be transformed. Except the verse doesn't stop there. It says, be renewed, uh, transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Now, discern there doesn't mean find out the will of God. God's word is the will of God. You're renewed. You know God's will because your mind is being renewed with God's word. It's the testing part so that you may experience the will of God. Where does transformation really come from? Not just knowing God's word. You've got to put your weight on it. Know, believe, trust. And what James is all about here, commit to the word of God, and then you'll receive the assurance, I'm being transformed, and you will be transformed. So that's what we're going for here. And so James is talking about, hey, I want to be really practical. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because uh, we need God's word, because it's coming from my heart. I need to be transformed. So I look into God's word. I see what I'm like. I submit myself to that. And the word of God, by the power of the spirit of God, transforms me and changes me so that what's coming out of me is different. Right? So let's finish off with this. When I respond to God in faith, I experience change. Uh, First of all, that's practical. It's pervasive. It affects all of me. It goes right to my identity. And now this, it's personal. So James just ends with this. If anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So let me just uh, give you four ways of uh, just saying, hey, how am I doing with transformation? So you can mark yourself kind of on a scale of one to five. One is, uh, yeah, not so much. Five is, yeah, I got this. Are you ready? So we're all going to mark as This is something, we shouldn't do this, right? Judging ourselves. Oh, but if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged by God. And so let's just take a moment to say, hey, where am I on the transformation scale? So uh, James says a few things. First of all, I'm not self-focused. I bridle my tongue. I bridle my tongue. What does that mean? Like, you know what a bridle is? It's the thing you put in a horse and control it. I control my tongue. We call this leveling and editing. I level. I tell the truth. But I edit how I say it and the words I use. You know you have control about that. You, you ever meet one of those persons? I just speak the truth. Ooh. Well, you could do it a little bit nicer, right? And so that becomes an excuse for I can say anything I want anytime I want. And the older I get, like, I just don't care anymore. I'm going to say whatever I... No, 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 no. We bridle a, a person that knows Jesus Christ and that's being transformed, knows the power of words, and knows that they are expressing something about their heart, and so they bridle their tongue. They speak the truth, but they speak it graciously. And so I level and I edit 
I, I tell the truth, but I edit how I say it. Not for the sake of uh, managing appearances, but for the sake of loving others, loving God and loving others. And so I'm not uh, self-focused. This is obeying Scripture. Put away falsehood. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Um, Let's not be any longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by uh, human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Three different ways of getting carried about there, by the way. Uh, But rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Listen, the more Christ-like I become, it affects the words that I use. It affects the way that I talk. And the way that, that, that it affects me the most is it changes who I am inside so that what comes out of me is more like what Jesus would say. And so I'm not self-focused. Secondly, I'm not self-deceived. I'm not deceived into having a worthless faith by thinking I can be lazy and not deal with God's word. I would deal with what God's word shows me about my motives and actions. He says, if anyone is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. We talked about that, didn't we? We look into the perfect law of liberty. Why is it called the law of liberty? Because it sets me free. So often we look in there and we say, oh, it's going to tie me up. It's going to restrict me. It's the law of liberty. When you look in there, God is showing you the things that you need to be freed from. The things that dominate you. The things that ruin your relationships. That break your connections. And so it goes straight to our heart. But, but if I'm not willing, if I'm not willing to receive God's word... In the power of the Holy Spirit, if I'm not in meekness, in humility, willing to submit myself to what God says is true and to confess it and repent it and look to Him and put my weight on it and trust Him to transform me. If instead I say, I don't want what you want, God. I'm going to do it my way. Then you're deceiving your heart. So James says, uh, don't be that. So I'm not self-focused. I'm not self-deceived. I'm not self-centered religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction that means much more than knocking on their door and saying hi Um, it's actually providing care for people I'm pretty excited about this um, course that you're giving on soul care I recommend that you all come and not just because I'm the soul care pastor it's because I can't do it alone Uh, We need to care for one another, and we want to do that well, and so let's get some skills on how to do that well. So, like, okay, you just got the word. Every one of you has to sign up for the course, and we'll hold it right in here, and it'll be great. And so I'm just saying, I'm not self-centered. I'm other-centered. Lots of scriptures commanding us to put our other's interests before our own. And then finally, I'm not self-serving. I submit my desires and actions to the authority of God's word as an act of faith. This is the loving God, part of our values. We keep ourselves unstained from the world. Well, listen, James brings our words and actions front and center for each of us right now. And what it should cause us to do is think about the reality of our faith. Have I received life from Jesus Christ? Have I? Well, then I should be living it out. How, how can I live that out? James says, uh, you need to be very practical with that. You need to slow the conversation down. You need to look in underneath the surface. You need to apply God's word to the reality of who you are. And so he says, we, we want to get uh, very, very specific and very deep about this. 
So often we struggle and feel stuck. All of us sin. For some of us, it's repeated sin. And we keep on going and we just say, I need transformation. Maybe you're here today and you're just feeling, I just need transformation. Listen, God's word has help and hope for you. If we'll just submit our hearts to the truth of it and then actually obey it. Like stop with the wrath already. Stop with the filthy speaking already. Stop with the way of using your words to get what you want. And really think about what God wants and how to be other-centered. And really begin to apply that and watch it transform you and transform your relationships. That's pretty practical. So uh, let's do this. So here's what we're going to do. God wants to transform you at the deepest level. So here's what we're going to do. Let's bow our heads. First of all, examine yourself in humility. Not just now. Every single time you read God's word, come before it humbly and examine yourself in humility. Confess your sin. Confess your repeated sin. Say the same thing as God. Get on the same page with Him. When God shows you something, agree with Him. Confess it. And then if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, take heart. He has overcome the world. He will shortly crush Satan under your feet. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will transform you. And so trust Him to do so. And then commit to change. Commit to engaging with God's Word in the power of the Holy Spirit, committed to obeying it, in agreement and in encouragement with each other, because we're a body here, and we need each other. We can do better together. So real change is practical, it's pervasive, and it's personal. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, would you come to us? Father, we confess freely that uh, this is not in us. We don't want it even. And so we need something from outside of us. And so, Father, we call on the name of Jesus Christ and ask that you would do what you've promised to do. Come to us. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, convict us and, and then uh, strengthen us with all might. With the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Father, come to us and apply your word to our hearts and transform us so that we might be like your Son. And so, Father, we ask for this because we know and we believe and we trust you and now we are committing ourselves to us and pray that you'll give us an assurance that you are indeed with us we ask it in jesus name amen